This is The Ascending Life with Pastor Josh Blevins of Grace Calvary Chapel. Jesus came and said, what? I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. You don't have to go through a church. You don't have to go through a pope. You don't have to go through a human institution. You come directly through Christ. And yet the Catholic Church in their catechism declares that there is no salvation outside of the church. And what they mean by that, maybe you've heard the phrase, the vicar of Christ. That's a title for the pope. The word vicar was, uh, is a Latin term, vicarious. It means in place of. It's a title that the pope got in place of Jesus on the earth. To begin, Pastor Josh addresses some of the false accusations that have been leveled at him in regards to the challenging content of this study and some of the false doctrines that permeate our culture. If you are a Catholic follower of Jesus, today's message may be challenging. Pastor Josh challenges all followers of Jesus to consider this question, should I be praying to anyone else besides Jesus? The answer to this question will help you discover whether you have idolatry in your life. Now. Here's Pastor Josh in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3 as he begins his message, Doctrine, False Doctrine. Lord, we declare that we want to receive your word into the soil of our hearts today. Um, Lord, as, as we move through a sensitive subject of, of doctrinal errors and fallacies that exist, I pray that you would give us, and specifically me, the, the words of wisdom and humility uh, to point us in the right direction and that you would most importantly back, back everything up that we say and do this morning with the confirmation of your, of your word and your truth that we might uh, really be in a place to receive your best for us, Lord, and everything that you would desire us to accomplish and to do. We want the fullness of your spirit in our lives and your truth to guide us and lead us in all things. And so we pray that you would speak to our hearts, open our eyes today, and we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. We've been moving through a series entitled Doctrine, not to specifically cover every specific Christian doctrine, but to discuss the importance of what it means to have a worldview and a perspective of God and ourselves and others that is rooted in truth, that is rooted within the word of God. And if you've not been able to join us for our first several messages, I would encourage you to go online and look back at those as we've established our confidence in the authority and the sufficiency and the inerrancy of scripture to be the source of truth that we guide, that, that guide our lives and our perspectives and our views. And we've, uh, several weeks now, been launching into uh, an area of what I've called false doctrine and how to identify it. It's not something I want to do regularly, to be honest with you, but it is something that every Christian should do at least once or every now and again in their life, to say, you know, what are the characteristics of things that are false, of belief systems that are in error, so that I can make sure I'm staying rooted in the truth of God's word. Last week, we began to address several sort of aberrant doctrines that have permeated the church in our era. And I have tried to speak as clearly and directly and openly with you as possible. Quite frankly, it's, I get tired and weary by pastors that, that I might listen to speaking in circles, and at the end of the day, I don't know what they said. So if I sound direct or, or abrupt, it's because I just want to be clear. And yet, I recognize that after last week, man, I got all sorts of accused of being overly critical and judgmental and 
uh, I was told that I, I am a, what was it, a white racist Christian nationalist who hates gay people. And so uh, I would like to just clarify a couple things before I move on. First of all, and I say this just, again, for the sake of clarity, uh, today's message is going to be in the same vein as last week's message. I'm not going to apologize for being called by God to equip and to warn and to exhort and to teach um, the church. And I don't, I don't need your applause. I don't need your applause. I just want to, I just want to say that I will, I will bring up more things specifically. But let me just answer the accusation if I could. Josh hates gay people. If God doesn't hate someone, then I don't. And God gave his life for all people, whether they're in the sin of homosexuality or any other sin that the, what I am mad at, what I'm angry at is not the individual who's wrapped up or captivated by sin. I am angry at the lie that has deceived them and the enemy that holds them captive. I want them to know what it's like to live in the freedom of Christ and everything he's designed them to be. And regarding being a a white Christian nationalist, uh, I am white. You'll have to take that up with my parents. Um, I didn't have a lot to do with that. Uh, I am a Christian in that I'm a follower of Jesus, and I want uh, all my neighbors to know the truth of the fact that they can be forgiven of their sins, reconciled to God, and at peace with God, and find their purpose in this life. So, yes, I'm a Christian. As far as being a nationalist, if you define that as a person who's, who, who loves their country in the sense that wants all of their neighbors to know Jesus and wants their country, the nation that God has placed them in, to experience the blessings of righteousness in their land, then I'm guilty as charged. And so, yes, all of those things... Uh, I think in the way that it was told me, I don't think they meant any of those things. And as far as racism, don't get me started on that. Racism is a sin of the human heart, first and foremost. I don't buy the language that you are systemically racist because you're born into a certain class, you're born into a, you become part of a certain religion or you're a certain race that just automatically makes you part of the system of racism. Racism starts in the human heart. It's through wickedness. Uh, It's not a sin I've struggled with. I've struggled with my own sins, trust me. (laughs) What I said last week is, I think it's ridiculous for people to stand up because the voices are shouting at them, you're racist, you're racist, you owe us something. Okay, well, I'm sorry. I'm not going to apologize for something I didn't do. I will apologize for things I did. I'm not racist, and I believe if you want the answer to racism in this country, look no further than the gospel that unites all people under the banner of Jesus and makes them equal at the foot of the cross. And so let's, let's... Turn our hearts back. Here's what my intention was. My intention is, uh, is as Paul told Timothy, a young pastor, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he writes this, I urge you when I was in Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables or endless genealogies which cause, cause disputes rather than edification, which is in faith. And the purpose of this commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. From some, having strayed, have turned aside, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things that they affirm. And so, like Timothy, I want you to know that my motive, as Paul's was, of the commandment to teach no other doctrine and to know the truth is out of love. It's out of a sincere and pure conscience and out of sincere faith. And that is my heart and my hope as we communicate things that are difficult because, let's face it, we've all picked up things in our lives, in our relationships with God, that have not been necessarily based on the truth, but based on our experience. 
And we all have. And we all need to be okay with the light of God's truth shining in our hearts and challenging our experiences so that we are walking in alignment with his will. And so we picked up uh, a, a couple doctrines. We looked now at the topic of cancerous Christian doctrines that have infiltrated the church. Again, my intention isn't to give you an exhaustive list of every name and everything, but to equip you with tools to know that when you hear something or see something on your own, you can start to self-discern whether or not those things are off kilter with God's word. Uh, we talked about the prosperity quote-unquote gospel that changes the purpose of the cross of Jesus Christ from the forgiveness of our sins and the inheritance of the eternal to the gaining of the material and to the, the gaining of the things that we carnally and selfishly want diminishes the cross to a get-rich-quick scheme that God somehow owes me something of a, of a physical nature here on the earth. And I went very much in depth in that, so I'm not going to do that again. But again, Peter and Jude call these people that those who have forsaken the right way and have gone astray and they follow the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Um, again, using their spiritual cover to, as a means for gaining physical wealth and physical reputation off the people of God. And it's something that is an abomination to God and exists in, in high quantity in today's church. We talked about progressive secularism about the, the fact that in the church today, what we have a lot of are human ideas and philosophies disguised with godly language and spiritual language. But they're really nothing than a returning, a repurposing of the same old human lies and human solutions to the same old problems of sin that don't, aren't really anchored in the truth of Jesus. And here's what Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12, which I tried to communicate last week. I like the New Living Translation. It captures it well. Paul says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that renewing of your mind comes through the soundness of doctrine. I want to tell you, and I, I've, I've told, I've had the chance to speak to a, some pastors uh, as of late in pastors' ministries and, and conferences. And I told them, you know, Paul's told us that, the, that we must preach the word, that we must be instant, in season and out of season, that we must reprove, rebuke, rebuke, exhort, and encourage with all teaching and doctrine. Why? Because the days are coming when they will no longer endure sound doctrine, but they will, what, heap up for themselves teachers having itching ears, and they will wander and err from the truth. And, you know, we as Christians today, we serve a kingdom that transcends the ideas of the world, the philosophies of the world. Jesus came and was anti an antithetical to everything in this world. And we need to learn to not be easily offended when Jesus challenges our worldviews that we've learned from the world. And listen, you guys know where I'm at politically. You know that I, I lean conservatively because, uh, because I believe that that lines closest up with my biblical worldview, okay? But let me tell you something. If you are not prepared to offend both Republicans and Democrats in this day and age with Jesus, you need to ask yourself why. Because neither of them have the fullness of what Jesus has. 
Our salvation is not in politics. Sadly, and I'm not afraid to mention it, I think the Democratic Party in America has completely gone off the rails with any moral ground. And I I think you can't support them as a Christian. That's my my view. That's my perspective. Um, But you know what? Your salvation isn't in the Republican Party. If you think that Jesus cares more about whether or not you can own an AR-15 than he cares about the salvation of your neighbor's soul, you've got your priorities in the wrong place. Which, by the way, I really think that we should be able to own an AR-15, just so you know. <laughs> but, uh, but my suggestion there, listen, is where are your priorities? Are you being conformed to the world in making your idols in certain places and people and things? Are you saying, Jesus is, is, defines my worldview, what I worship, who I am, what I believe, my convictions morally, and then from that place, I just want it to play out in every other area of my life, including the public sphere. So I've gone on a bit of a rabbit trail, but I want to enter back into this place and this idea um, of the doctrines that have infiltrated the so-called church that I think are very, very dangerous. Now I will hit one and multiple points here that I think is not as obvious, but is very much in existence. And that is the practice and the introduction of idolatry into the faith. The practice and introduction of idolatry into the faith. Before I get specific, let's talk a little bit about the concept of idolatry from the very beginning. When God established his written law for his people, which contains his heart of morality and worship. Exodus chapter 20, God starts off by saying, everything else hinges on this. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself carved image or the likeness of anything that is in heaven above or in earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. Now, when you hear the word jealous, don't think of God being Uh, envious, like a human is envious. No, God being jealous means that he knows that when our worship is rooted in anyone or anything else other than him, we will never experience who he's created us to be. He alone is worthy. He alone has the holiness that deserves the attention, the affection, and the worship of every human being. So follow me here. Idolatry, in essence, when, when, when we see the worship of idols in any form, what it is, it's a lack, it displays a lack of faith that a person has in the sufficiency, the supremacy, and the exclusivity of God being worthy of worship alone. In other words, when we try to find other things to place in between us and God in our worship, what we're declaring is that Jesus himself is not enough. Therefore, modern-day idolatry in worship would look like attempting to worship God, listen, but worshiping him in a way that introduces other intermediaries into the picture or putting someone or something in between us and God. Now, in the early church, the Gentile believers who came to Christ came out of a polytheistic pagan culture. And so for them, they had to put aside their temple practices and the various gods that they worshiped of Rome and of, and of Greek all the Greek gods and goddesses that existed. For the Jew who came to Christ, they had to put away the sacrificial system and righteousness by the law to accept that Jesus' sacrifice and faith in him was enough. 
And all of these things were to emphasize the holiness and sufficiency of Christ. This is why John tells us in 1 John chapter 5, verse 21, he concludes his letter by saying, little children, keep yourself from what? From idols. Because he knows the propensity of human beings, even pe- people who love Jesus, to try to find some physical thing or some other thing to hold on to rather than trusting and worshiping Jesus alone. I bring this up because many today have been led astray into idolatry under the banner of Christ. And much of it, sadly, has taken place within the Catholic Church. Now, if you are a Catholic today, or you have Catholic family, or you don't know much about Catholicism, but they believe in Jesus, I want you to know I'm not mocking you. I'm not here to judge you. I'm here to present to you some facts from the scripture that hopefully will make you think. Because I believe it's possible and even probable that that there are some in the Catholic Church who truly are born again. If they've trusted Jesus, if they're fully relying on Jesus' sacrifice for the forgiveness of their sins and they have faith in that, then they are born again. But sadly, the Catholic Church as a whole has hindered more people from coming into the kingdom of God than has invited them through their man-made traditions that they have introduced as the word of God. Remember Jesus' rebuke of the Pharisees? In Matthew chapter 15, verse 9, he said, In vain these people worship me. Why? Because they teach as doctrines the commandments of men. In other words, they've lost sight of the word of God, and they have introduced their own doctrines, which are based on their own traditions and their own invented belief systems. I believe the Catholic Church as a whole fits into the category of Matthew 23, where Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. You neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Why did he tell that to the Pharisees? Because the Pharisees said, if you want to get into the kingdom of God, you've got to go through us. And Jesus came and said, well, I am the way. I am the truth, and I am the life. You don't have to go through a church. You don't have to go through a pope. You don't have to go through a human institution. You come directly through Christ. And yet the Catholic Church in their catechism declares that there is no salvation outside of the church. And what they mean by that, maybe you've heard the phrase, the vicar of Christ. That's a title for the pope. The word vicar was, uh, is a Latin term, vicarious. It means in place of. It's a title that the pope got in place of Jesus on the earth. That, that the Pope is declared the head of the church and the final authority with apostolic and divine authority to speak forth the truth and that he defines what the word of God is and he defines what truth is for the church. But my Bible tells me in the book of Ephesians that there is only one head of the church that we are growing into and that's Jesus Christ. And there's only one vicar or in place of Christ on the earth and that's the Holy Spirit not any human institution. One of the great idolatries, I believe, presented into into the Catholic Church is the veneration, they call it, of Mary. Mary holds the titles, Mother of God, an intercessor of the saints, and it's an aberrant distortion of the true gospel. The Catholics believe that Mary, as a human being, listen, has a, and has, and had a distinct, unique relationship with God that no other human being has. The 
Immaculate Conception teaches that Mary was not born into original sin, nor was she affected by original sin, but was but conceived full of the grace, which contradicts the gospel, which tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The assumption of Mary declares that Mary, because of her own merit as a human being and the mother of Jesus, earned the ability for God to assume her up into heaven. Some Catholic theologians say that she died. Others say that she didn't die. But those who say that she died, Mary, say, oh, she didn't die because of sin. She died to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. They put her on a separate level from all other people. But let me tell you what the Bible clearly teaches. First of all, none of this is, is, is merited in the scriptures. None of it's founded in the Bible. Zero. When Mary conceived Jesus and he was born, Jesus became her earthly son. When Jesus died on the cross, he became her savior. When he rose from the, from the dead, he became her Lord. And that's, that's simply it. Now, can we applaud Mary's faith and how she received that call of God and learn from it? Yeah, absolutely. But to place her on any other position or scale then any other person has no biblical precedence. And here's what is a bit frightening about where they take this. In the present, Catholics believe that Mary can be sought by the Catholic, by the faithful, prayed to, and that Mary can provide some special intercession on their behalf before God and impart to them special graces from God that they couldn't get anywhere else. <laughs> Many Catholics, if, they, if you ask them, do you worship Mary? They're, oh, no, we, we don't worship Mary. We just honor her. We venerate her. But that's not the question. The bigger question is, that I would encourage every Catholic to ask, is should I be trusting or praying to any other human being to gain me special favor, merit, or grace before God other than Jesus? The biblical answer is absolutely not. Paul told us clearly in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 and 6, there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all, even Mary. Biblically speaking, there should be no prayers of intercession, no requests made to Mary or any other saint for that matter, other than Jesus. Pope Francis once wrote this regarding Mary. He said, just like and more than every good mother, Mary defends us from danger. She is concerned about us even when we are concentrated on our own things and lose a sense of the way. And when we put not only our health in danger, but also our salvation. So if your salvation is in danger, who's, who's there praying for you to make sure that you get it back? Mary, apparently. Mary is there praying for us, praying for those who do not pray, to pray with us. Why? Because she is our mother. And this is very concerning that Mary would be placed on any pedestal which would encourage someone to pray to her. We must pray to and through Christ alone. Thanks for joining us today here on The Ascending Life with Pastor Josh Blevins. Throughout this study, we learn about how the Apostle Paul mentored a young pastor friend 
who was working to reach the hearts of the people he was pastoring. Paul was in Rome at the time, and persecution was no stranger to either of these men. Despite all of that, Paul trusted God to use him where he was. He encouraged Timothy to continue spreading the gospel message. We hope today's teaching has inspired you to continue going forward, even when things get hard. God will take care of all your needs. He'll use your gifts and abilities right where you're at, so you can stand strong to love others well. Will you place your faith in God? If you're checking this whole God thing out for the first time and haven't come to know Jesus as your personal Savior, that's okay. But please, please go to TheAscendingLife.com and click on the Know Jesus tab. There you'll be pointed in the right direction to know more about how much God loves you. Here at Grace Church, we want your heart to be awakened to the love, truth, and power of God. Do you want to hear more messages from Pastor Josh? Hop online and visit our website, TheAscendingLife.com. You can also subscribe to our podcast. Again, that's TheAscendingLife.com. We so appreciate you listening to this edition of The Ascending Life as we strive to put Jesus first. But that's it for now. Will you make plans to join us again? We hope so, because there's more to learn about God. So be sure to tune in next time on The Ascending Life. We're reaching up, we're pressing